alcohol and uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot, no. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 25th episode of Polcast. In this episode we will tell you... How Hollywood was created by Poles, research and two books by a renowned American filmmaker-author. That hell does exist. In Poland. How a British singer sang for Soviet Gulag survivors in Poland. Smacznego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Classic Polish Recipes and classic Polish desserts, where all the recipes have been handed down from previous generations. But updated for the modern kitchen, so no more pinch of this or glass of that. We take our books to Polish festivals all over the country, and the most frequently asked questions that we hear revolve around czarnina, the classic Polish duck blood soup. So many folks remember it from their childhood, and this is one dish that you either love or hate. There's no in-between. Over the years, this classic has become one of legendary memories that grow with age, but I suspect the legend has overshadowed the actual taste. Duck's blood? Really? These days, it's pretty hard to get fresh duck's blood unless you know a duck farmer. With all the regulations on commercial food handling, I'm guessing that no one will guarantee the freshness and the safety of the blood. So we adapt. A while back, we posted a recipe for mock czarnina, also known as white czarnina, which was, very, which was created from a very old traditional recipe, and it generated a lot of hits on our website. The recipe avoids real duck blood, but it still gets a lot of flavor from prunes and from fresh or smoked neck bones, either pork or some variety of fowl, whatever you can get. The basic process is to cook the neck bones really well, add the prunes, some celery, parsley, allspice, sugar, some cloves, some raisins, a tart apple, and a lot more spices, a little bit of cream, sugar, and of course, salt and pepper to taste. The soup gets cooled to skim off the fat, then you add a little flour to thicken it and reheat slowly. You can serve it over noodles if desired. Just try it, you could love it, a lot of Poles do. The full recipe for this dish and the information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the article posted on September 16, 2014. Smacznego! What's really interesting is that that soup had a symbolic ritual function in the Polish culture. In the days when marriages were arranged by families, it was served to suitors hoping to marry a young woman by her parents as a way of saying, you're not getting our daughter. 
So, to be served the duck blood soup, Cernina, meant to be rejected. A pretty complicated and expensive way of saying no, don't you think so? Do you know that movies like Jaws and hundreds of other Hollywood mega-productions have Polish roots? That indeed, there would be no movie theaters as we know them today were it not for Poles. No, we're not crazy or obsessed with Poland. These revelations come from extensive and solid research and two best-selling books authored by an expert in the field. He writes about Pollywood, Polish Hollywood. Andrzej Krakowski, an award-winning film producer, screenwriter and director, born in Poland, raised in an intellectual home where Diego Rivera, Picasso, Ilya Ehrenburg, Pablo Neruda, Yves Montand were just a few of the many guests. He graduated from the famous film school in Łódź. As many Poles of Jewish extraction, he left Poland in 1968 and has been living in the U.S. ever since. His filmography consists of over 40 films. He's a professor at the City College of New York, where he teaches film directing, screenwriting, and production. And now his passion is studying Hollywood and revealing unknown facts about its history. You have written two books that relate to a Polish influence on Hollywood. We know some of these biographies, we know some of these people, but you claim that the role of Poles was quite amazing. I would be very careful how we phrase it because you know because how what is Hollywood and by Hollywood I mean the entire media industry and that was was what was so so shocking for me is that that as I was getting deeper and deeper in my research I suddenly recognized that, that literally there is there's no not a single field of media industry that didn't start in the in the territories that were either historically Polish I'm talking about Poland be, before the partitions because then the, then we have the 123 years when Poland didn't exist as a sovereign country Poland after 1918 and now you know, it, it all started as a fluke. In 1993, the Museum of, of Cinema in Poland, in Łódź, sent one of their employees who happened to be a, a friend, he's a, a production designer, Maciek Putowski, to round up some exhibits, you know, some props for the, the upcoming exhibit of uh, 100 years of cinema. And we were sitting in Manhattan here in, in, uh, in, a, in a little cafe, and, and Maciek looks at me and says, Andrzej, this is by any chance, do you know any any American filmmakers with with Polish roots? And I was totally, totally unprepared for the question. So I, I quickly started to tell him about people that I personally knew or worked with. You know, like starting with Jack Palance and Billy Wilder and, and Otto Preminger and, and Jack Warner. And, and and the list was getting longer and longer and longer. And then finally, Maciek said to me, says, oh my God, you know, I only had a corner for it, but corner is not enough. They really deserve to get a, a full exhibit. I said, well, why don't you do it? He says, yeah, good idea. The exhibit never took place. But in my head, the process has started. And I started to collect documents, memorabilia, you know, and, 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 and before I knew, I, I, had a, I had a list of over 100 people. And today this list is even much, 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 much bigger. So in the first two books, we covered 21 people. I went to the very, very, very beginning, the, the movie industry in 1894. And even then, what I found out is, is quite 
astonishing because everybody thinks that, uh, that the Lumiere brothers were the, the, the inventors of the film camera. No, Lumiere brothers were in, in Lyon, in France, but in Poland, two years before them, there was a Polish inventor, uh, Jan Stepanik, who had a working film camera. Nobody knows about it. More than that, Stepanik was, he, he was such a great inventor that to, to this day, to today, the Eastman Kodak patent on color film is based on Stepanik's patent. He never came to the United States, but Mark Twain went to Europe to spend time with him and wrote extensively about, about Stepanik. Then, as I started to build it up, then, was, then Zygmunt Lubin suddenly shows up. And Lubin was born in... in, in one, dog, one time he said he was born in Wrocław, and another day he says he was born in Poznań. Knowing how, how Jews got their last names, you know, both places are plausible, because one, there's a Lubin next to, very close to Wrocław, and Lubin very close to Poznań. So, who knows? Because his name was Lubczyński. And he created a the first the first movable projector. So all of until then the film how, how the how the film was looped into kinetoscopes. So it was a little box, a loop of film about three minutes long, uh, a little crank and a source of light and, and that so one person could watch short film only one time in one space. With the, with the movable projector, all of a sudden many people can see in the same place the same copy. That's the beginning of cinema. So I, I started to follow how the industry was developing and was growing up. And wherever we went, there was somebody from Poland. Look, radio, television. We have David Sarnoff. David Sarnoff was born in Uswane, which is now it's a Belarus. But, uh, you know, but before the partitions was Poland. And today we don't we don't think about it, but NBC, RCA, RKO, they all go back. We don't even realize. I mean, everybody gets fascinated by you know by Oscars. We're gonna win. Oscars is a Polish invention. It was invention of Louis B. Mayer, who was born in Minsk. The trail goes to Minsk Mazowiecki. Three out of four Warner Brothers were born in Krasnoshiers. You know. Samuel Goldwyn, who made the first long movie in a place called Hollywood, born in Warsaw. Women, I mean, we don't even realize this, you know, that when Paula Negri came to the United States, it was in 22-23, the entire, the entire entertainment industry was ruled by four women from Poland. Uh, Andrzej Jerzyska was the, the queen, and everybody pays her tribute today. As a, as a founder of the feminist literature and the immigration literature. On Broadway, it was uh, Anna Held, Le Miserable, and these big reviews and the big, uh, the, the big musicals. She was the one who brought the Moulin Rouge and, and Folie Berger to Broadway. She had enormous influence on American theater. Uh, then in music, Sophie Tucker. Uh, Sophie Tucker was born in Tulchin, which is today it's the border between Ukraine and Poland. Her name was Sonia Kalisz. And, uh, but meantime, everybody, you know, My Yiddish Mame was written by her, who wrote at, at the time when she was uh, started her career. Remember, this was the world with no television, no radio. Uh, that the, 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 the singers would go and buy... Uh, and actually ordered specific uh, specific songs from specific writers. So she she went to a guy whose name was Jackie Allen, 
to write Yiddish Mame. When I started to look who is Jack Yellen, he's a Jakub Zelig Yellen from uh, from the hamlet in Warsaw in, in Poland called Zeki. Uh, you know, wherever we go, wherever we, we move, it's, it's insane. Well, you, meant, you mentioned when we talked before that there are more books coming, right? So that means you want to continue this? You have more characters that you would like to present? Oh, yes. In the second volume, there will be 11 more people. Every time I dig up something, each character leads to another character. And it's, it's one after another. And before we know it, it's like, it's huge. It's mushrooms. You know, it's a... Uh, you, you wrote the books in Polish. A fluke. You, another fluke. After Maciek Putowski left in 1993, and I started to, to collect the, the information, I started to think that this is interesting. All these people come from Poland. Poland doesn't know about it. Maybe it would be worth making a, a TV series. Yeah, so in 2010, I went to Poland. I went to Polish television. And I said, look, there's a little secret. You know, at that time, it was actually called the Polish Secrets of the of American Film Industry. Well, we have Chopin, we have Maria Curie, we have uh, we have great Polish inventors, but none of them, you know, they're revered and they're respected and they should be, but none of them invented an industry and an industry that today rules the world. The person I talked to, he says, "Listen, this is a terrific idea, but the problem is we don't have money." So I went to the to piece. Polish Film Institute said, he said, hey, this is this is a TV series. He said, we're not here to fund TV programs, we're here to, to fund movies. I, I, I realized I'm not going to get farther. And I, I decided to come back to New York. And, you know, I, I kid you not, on the day I was leaving, I woke up and I, I thought, maybe, maybe I should write a book. So I called my dear, dear friend, Michał Komar, writer and, and publisher and, and and I said, Michal, what do you think? You know, maybe that would be like a book. And he said, give me two hours. And in two hours, he brought me two offers. You know, the offer we, we chose had a very short window. I, so I had like less than nine months to write a book from scratch. And I realized that if I write in English, and then we need to translate it, it will never, I will never meet the deadline. So I, I took a, I guess, big leap. <laughs> And decided to write in Polish, and it was it was quite interesting because I had not written anything in Polish since 1968 except *Ogniem Mieczy*, screenplay for Hoffman. And but screenplay is screenplay, film is film, it's visual. This is, is a difference. I have to relearn Polish, and the first reaction was actually very funny. It was very good because the the publisher the, called me and they said, "Listen, we love it. You write in such a short, concise." Sentences, and I, I didn't dare to tell them that the only reason why I, I'm writing such a short sentence is because I can't construct the compound ones. You know, so you know the the, the first when the book came out first in 2011, the first edition was gone in three weeks. Now, are you planning to do it in English at all? The first book was translated into English, but it was in, translated into British English, which is slightly different than than, than American English. But when it was translated, I did not think about continuing it. So we would have to pretty much re-edit the, the, the English English translation. I, I do have a literary agent, and she tried to, to, to submit to several publishers. Some of those 
responses were quite stunning, like the response from HarperCollins, which is a big, uh, you know, big publisher, says that the editors send, send the notes, says, I totally disagree with the basics of this, with the basic idea of this film. They were not Poles, they were Jews. And I flipped and I wrote back to my agent and said, please ask this idiot if he would ever tell this to Arthur Miller or, you know, or, any, or, or Philip Roth that he's not American because he's Jewish. Everybody who was born in Poland is a Pole. And what is, what is, what is their persuasion or what is their, their religious beliefs? Or, it's has nothing to do with your nationality. This is what is why I'm writing this book. So those differences, so these divisions, which are totally, totally ignorant, can be wiped out. Also, I would have to probably rewrite them quite substantially because for the Polish reader, the fact that these people are from Poland is of paramount importance. Okay, this is our pride. In America, everybody's an immigrant. So what's the big deal? All this begs the question, why? What is the reason that those immigrants from Poland, Poles with Jewish roots, played such an incredible role in the media industry? Andrzej Krakowski gives fascinating answers to this question in our next episode. Those questioning the existence of hell are simply mistaken. Of course, it does exist. Do you know where? In Poland. The town called Hell, with single L, is located in northern Poland at the very tip of, appropriately, the Hell Peninsula. The history of this small fishing town goes back to the 12th century, when it was first mentioned as a Kashubian village known as a center of herring trade. Ground erosion never-ending wars of the 17th and 18th centuries, and a series of natural disasters damaged the town so much that it had to move to another location, one and a half kilometers away. When Poland regained its independence after World War I, hell became part of Poland. In 1921, a railway was built along the peninsula connecting the town to the mainland. The village became one of the two main naval bases in Polish Navy. The naval base was expanded significantly and a battery of coastal artillery was built to provide cover for the military facilities. During the invasion of Poland, the Hell Peninsula was one of the longest defended pockets of Polish army resistance. Approximately 3,000 soldiers defended the area against the overwhelming odds for a month and a day until October 2, 1939. Shortly before capitulation, Polish military engineers detonated a number of torpedo warheads, which separated the peninsula from the mainland, transforming it into an island. After the war, the village yet again became a naval base. In 1960, a road linking hell with Jastarnia on the mainland was built. In 1996, the Polish Navy sold the remaining parts of the peninsula to civilian authorities, and only a small naval base is located there today. Most people hearing hell think about the peninsula, not just the town itself. It's a very picturesque and popular tourist destination. It's 35 kilometers long and in its narrowest point, just 100 meters. Since the peninsula was formed entirely of sand, it is frequently turned into an island by winter storms. Until the 17th century, the peninsula was a chain of islands that formed a strip of land only during the summer. 
West of it is the open Baltic Sea, and east the peaceful and shallow Bay of Putsk. The record low temperature recorded there was close to minus 20 degrees. So in case you wondered, hell does freeze over, at least the one in Poland. A few episodes ago, we presented to you Katie Carr, a British singer and composer who is fascinated with Polish history and sings about it. Well, she has just returned from Poland, where she participated in an interesting event. Katie, you just came back from Poland, uh, having experienced something quite unusual. Well, I was um, in Poland to play a special concert um, for the... March of the Siberian Survivors in Białystok and this was a very interesting event and had uh, a number of the survivors in the audience. Um, This was an event that was really dedicated to their stories and their untold stories because their history really hasn't been shared um, in the West as, as as much as it should have been and also in Poland. So to be able to sing for these people who are actually... Um, innocent people in the 1940s who were transported, kidnapped from their homes um, and transported for slave labour in Stalin's gulag camp system uh, during the Second World War and after the Second World War. So it was a very moving experience. It's an annual event, right? Yes, the march is an annual event and Siberian survivors and people who survived the the gulag system from Poland come from all over the world. And after the Second World War, um, with the Alta Conference, there was a lot of displaced people, and a lot of them had survived these very um, notoriously cruel camps across the USSR. And their um, experiences uh, led them to... Uh, being displaced all over the world as far as um, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, um, Israel, uh, America, Canada, all over the world, including Mexico even. Now let's talk about the concert. What did you sing? Well, I sang a selection of songs um, from my albums, Passport and Polonia, and also some some special songs that were dedicated to some of the performers from the 1930s in Poland who were unlawfully kidnapped and placed for hard labour in USSR. And these included um, Hanka Ordenovna. I, I sang a song that was she, she made famous, actually, by Henrik Vaz called Miłości Wszystko Wybaczy. And also I sang a song by Henrik Vaz that Eugenius Bodo sang, which is... Um, we had um, my lovely uh, co- collaborator Hannah Lovell from Great Britain um, projecting images and the videos that she'd made with me because we, we've been working a long time together now. And um, she found some beautiful pictures of uh, Eugenius Bodo with his dog um, and we projected them on the screen and everybody just took a big, you know, lovely breath of um uh, happiness because it, he's he's so <laughs> he was so handsome in the nineteen twenties um, and thirties when he was a big big star throughout Poland um, he, and he owned a Swiss passport but was unlawfully kidnapped and 
sent to a gulag on the way, actually, he um, died of starvation. So, yeah, the, the stories behind some of these wonderful performers was tragic and um, related to the subject matter. So the people in the audience knew the songs and they were really happy that we'd um, paid tribute to them in the, in the concert. But we have a song called Red, Red Rose that I wrote in, um, it was in a place called Park Schimbach. Actually, they have a, a train um, that they transported from Siberia and they have it on display there. And it's a big black train with a red star on it. And we showed a picture of it when I was singing the song Red, Red, Rose, it's actually in my album cover as well. My um, artist, Susan Burkhart, did a, a special adaptation of it for my record, Passport. And um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of the song which says, Home, pass those German soldiers, home, pass those Russian soldiers, um, which meant a lot to the people in the audience. And um, we sang songs that, like, Hey Sokoe, which tell the story of a lover having to leave his loved one on the other side of the border and he couldn't go back. Are the concerts attended by young generation as well, by the second, third generation? We had children from the ages of about five or six all the way through to people who were 90, over 90 years old there. And um, some local scouts came to the gig and um, I was very pleased This is one of the whole number of things you've done recently in Poland since we spoke. The other thing that I was very um, proud to be involved with is this um, memorial that's going to be built um, for the Polish Home Army. It's a resistance memorial. It's the Adamia Krajowa Memorial, um, which will be placed at the foot of the Wawel Castle in Krakow next year. I think the, the opening date will be Independence Day, 3rd of May 2017 which marks the 75th anniversary of the beginning of the Polish Home Army, which started in February 1942. And I'm very pleased to be an ambassador for the project in the UK with the architect um, Alexander Smager, who comes from the Austrian Polonia. His grandparent was General Giza of the Polish II Corps, who led the 5th Division into the Battle of Monte Cassino in 1944. And so for him, it's a big, big opportunity to pay tribute to his grandparents and also to pay tribute to those people who've never had their voice heard in Krakow, which is, you know, which was home to a lot of uh, partisan groups and especially that area um, during the Second World War. So it's a real honour to be um, ambassador for this project. There's been a big campaign which... Um, Alexander's broken the <laughs> crowdfunding record in Poland and he's managed to get 25,000 young people involved and people have pledged um, as little as 20 pounds or stozwoty, 100 zwotys, to have their names inscribed on the memorial. Well, I think the top prices are like 20,000 pounds but it depends on the size of the name inscription but it's a really exciting thing and, and it's open to everybody to become involved with so we're very excited about that. We're very pleased that we've had the involvement recently of also our Cressy family group in the UK who has who've supported it too. <laughs> Red, 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 red
You can leave your comments and ideas at our website, mypodcast.com. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. What you just heard is a devil's fiddle. Where would you find Diabelski Skrzypce, devil's fiddle, if not close to hell or the town of hell? You are right. This didn't sound like a violin. Diabelski Skrzypce, or devil's fiddle, is a percussion folk instrument from Kashubian region that some compare to a broom. Devil's fiddle is a stick with a devil's head, straw sticking out from under its hat, and all kinds of badges attached to it. The fiddle is actually a full orchestra because it buzzes, it squeaks, jingles and rattles. According to a legend, the Kashabian devil's fiddle was the favorite instrument of witches because it resembles a broomstick, which every respectable witch flies on. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think guess where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear the sound and what is it? You've been listening to the 25th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals, and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. We are always curious about your reactions, comments, and suggestions. Also ideas for the news stories. Please share them with us on our website, mypolcast.com. Katie Carr mentioned a number of acclaimed Polish artists whose songs she sang for Siberia Gulag survivors. One of them was singer, actress, dancer Hanka Ordonówna, Ordonka, worshipped in pre-war Poland, but also in the U.S., Paris, Berlin, Vienna, Tel Aviv, Beirut, Cairo, and many other places, and herself a Gulag survivor. We leave you with one of her most famous songs, Miłości wszystko wybaczy, Love will forgive you everything. Że jest okrutna
Ty pokochasz tak mocno jak ja, tak tkliwie, żarliwie, tak wiem. Do ostatka, do szału, do dna, pozdradzaj mnie wtedy i Keep it.